Hello, Green Bay. How are you? It's great to be here. Uh, it's pretty fantastic, actually. Um, I want to talk today about uh, a simple concept. So simple, it, it's hard to get around it because, for me, it's really important to reduce things down to their essence. I think we can cloud things with too many words to the point where they, nothing sticks. It's just a culture of words. Uh, in fact, at school we call it Christianese, uh, language that we all think we know what it means because we use it all the time, but I don't know that anyone outside these walls understands what we're talking about. So I want to talk about an essence um, about beginnings, about beginnings and endings. So I want to start off talking a little about my beginnings so that uh, you know something about me and something about why I'm here. Uh, I was born in a, a family that I didn't seem to fit. Uh, I joke with them about being dropped by aliens uh, because they're all weird. I'm the normal one. Uh, I'm an artist. My dad was a World War II Marine veteran. Um, all of his platoon died on a beach, but him. Uh, you know what those stories are like. Uh, those men who came through that weren't able to talk about that stuff. I uh, was a construction worker. Um, he has a son who's an artist. Uh, he was a cowboy, grew up on a ranch. Uh, my mom was stay at home. Uh, my brother became a druggie. And I'm an artist, so I, I don't know what to do with my dad, except he had an amazing experience. He died of cancer in 1983, met Jesus for the first time, and Jesus said, I'm not through with you. I've got to send you back for a little while. Put him back in his body, and so he and I had six months to talk about who Jesus was. So it was an amazing gift of healing and restoration that I got to have with my father. And uh, not a lot of people get that. I was blessed by that. Um, so he died six months later uh, in May of 1984. So I was a little bit healed from having this hardened, uh, self-made man as a father uh, when I was just kind of a raw artist kid who was trying to figure out how to please him. So I played football, I was a carpenter, uh, I did all the things that I thought would make him like me. Um, and uh, that really wasn't what it was about. Uh, in fact, I played football until I broke my neck and uh, was at the verge of becoming a quad. And uh, for some reason, God saw fit to keep me with arms and legs at work. Uh, it was grace didn't deserve it. You know when you're 24 and you're invincible? Does anyone remember that? Or some of you are in that stage now? Uh, I thought without pads and a helmet, I could play at the same intensity that when I had pads and a helmet on, and it nearly cost me my life. So I've played with that intensity. Now I've lived in pain uh, since 1979 because of that injury. But it's caused me to have to live a different life. I've had to live dependent upon God, have to admit I have limitations. Isn't that difficult, especially for the men in the room, to admit you're dependent upon God, that you can't do it all, that you can't 
find a way in your own manhood as an American, figure everything out and make everything work. So I had to find another way. I didn't share any of this to the morning people. You're special. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, it, you're different. You're getting a different story. They got a good one too, but it was different, right, Troy? But I wasn't a Christian. I didn't have a Christian family uh, when I was born into. It was an atheist or a, the only time God was used, there was a word that followed it in one of our names. You know what that, how that works. Um, so Young Life found me and uh, gathered me up, and I became a Christian in 1970. Uh, Young Life is a fantastic ministry. Some of you are aware of it, yes? Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. I'm still in touch with my Young Life leader to this day uh, because of what it did for me to have that, that man love me and care for me. Um, and because of my conversion, I began wanting to share and to teach people. So in 1980, I started teaching high school art at a small Christian high school in San Francisco. And uh, I did that for 10 years, and I thought I was going to be there forever. I thought that was my calling, and, and I thought that was what God wanted me to do. Uh, the high school kids didn't realize I turned the high school into a young life camp. Um, uh, they didn't know better, but it was really fun, and it was a great time. But I, ta- I told you I was going to talk about beginnings and endings, so I've shared some of my beginnings with you, but all beginnings lead to endings, Right? I have a Green Bay sunrise up there that was uh, sent to me so I could have that up with you. How many of you were in the painting workshop Friday night? Right? And what lie did we dispel? How many of you, what's that? That's right. Some people said they couldn't paint. That is a lie. Because everyone painted. When you get a chance to see the finished product, it is beautiful. 45 panels. Uh, one foot square, reproduced, a sunrise painting. It is gorgeous. Because when you're made in the image of the Creator and you say, I can't create, who are you talking about? That's God. If God says, I made you in my image and He's the Creator and you say, I can't create, you're kind of talking to the powerful being of all the universe and calling him a liar. Now, maybe you're not great. Maybe you weren't taught well. Maybe your high school teachers sucked as art teachers, right? (laughs) It could be their fault. Uh, Matthew 18 deals with that. Does anyone know the punishment for bad teaching, right? If you cause a little one to stumble, it's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you're cast into the lake. So bad teachers are going to be a whole bunch of them at the bottom of the lake someday. I pray that I will not be there. That is one of my daily prayers, that I teach well, that I make a difference. I only have 15 weeks to damage them, and I hopefully I damage them well. And I do something that's lasting, that's important, that changes them so that they're a different person after they're in my class. Well, I don't like calling it class. I like calling it life. Are we still at the introduction? Wow. Okay, I forgot to tell you, I'm a Packer fan my whole life. Yes. From the time I was five years old, I was watching the Packers. I didn't really know what color they were because we had a black and white television. 
But my dad bought me a green and gold jacket so I could pretend I knew what color they were. Um, But I watched them win the first Super Bowl on TV, and uh, it's pretty amazing that I get to be here. I'm going to the game today, my first NFL game. That's pretty wild. Thanks to Troy. Uh, So we're going to talk about beginnings and endings, and um, the journey that got me to this stage is a whole series of beginnings and endings. Uh, You know, I'm in San Francisco, I'm teaching art for 10 years, I think I'm supposed to be there forever, my wife and I are doing ministry, we have home church there, of course it's San Francisco, so it's filled with crazies, so we're doing heavy ministry, It's, it's tough work. Uh, and they all want to be with us, so every month it's just challenging. And, um, and then God calls us to Southern California, and it's the last place I ever want to go. Uh, it's really, it's a wasteland there. There's really nothing there except the beach in Disneyland. So I thought, how are we going to live down there? But God calls us. I become a professor at Azusa Pacific University. Uh, that's 22 years ago now. And so the whole new journey begins. So something ends, and usually when there's an ending, there's a kind of sadness sometimes, isn't there? There's a grieving process we have to go through. Things end, and then things begin. So it's like there's grieving and celebration. And sometimes there's some space between those, isn't there? Like sometimes things end, and it seems like a long wait before something else starts. And how do we hold that grief How do we hold that sadness uh, in a healthy way? How do we let endings happen and give it the space it needs? You know when a pet dies, the worst thing to do is grab a new one that day? You know, I've done that. You don't give it the time it needs to mourn the loss of that little dog that you loved for a decade. You need to have that time to feel that loss So when you get the new one, it's a fresh experience. You don't just stick that replacement dog in and deny a decade or more of love that you had for that animal. Sometimes people do it with friends that they lose or spouses or whatever. We need time between beginnings and endings. Okay, so I come to APU. I'm teaching, and I get this student, Lauren Murphy, in my class. And she's fantastic. And then I get Jackie Murphy in my class. And then I meet their dad. And then we have these conversations. And then all of a sudden, he goes, oh, you should come up and go to a game and talk. And I'm like, that'll never happen. And here I am. <laughs> and I think, this is amazing. How does this happen? How do these things come to be? How does God work? I didn't orchestrate this. I didn't do anything to make this happen. So it's not like I am the strategic person that connived this into being. You know, it was a desire of my heart since I was five years old to be at a Packer game. And I'm 58 right now, so that's a long time to try to plan for something that I didn't think would ever happen. And yet here it is. It comes as a gift. It comes because I was doing what I was supposed to do for all those years. So beginnings and endings and being who I was supposed to be led to today. Now, today's going to be about something else that's wrapped up in all this. As I was preparing for this, I got a picture of something Troy does for you. He teaches every week. 
and he puts scripture together for you and he builds a net and you put your faith in that net. And I'm going to challenge you to stop doing that. He's going to keep building the net, but you need to make your own and stop depending on his work for your faith. It's what every congregation does, though. You pay the professional to do the work for you. And it just hurts my soul that we have all of these people attending church that don't own their own Christianity. They let the pastor do the work for them. So I'm going to give you some assignments today, if you're interested, on how to build your own faith journey, to own it yourself. I'm a teacher. I get to do that. And you get to decide whether you want to do it or not because you're yourself. You have choices. You can do whatever you want. But I'm going to encourage you to stop depending on Troy and anyone else to do it for you. In the beginning, Genesis 1, 1, I've been soaking in that for about 10 years, but for the last six weeks preparing for this morning to talk to you about it. In the beginning. The beginning of what? Is it the beginning of God? No. God was already there. It's the beginning of our story. It's the beginning of our experience. It's God setting the stage for what's going to happen in our lives. And what's great is it's a bigger story than us, right? It's not just the fact that we're behind on our mortgage. It's not just the fact that we still owe on our 10 credit cards or our neighbor's out of work or whatever we're going through, which is, it really sucks right now, doesn't it? It's a tough time for a lot of us. California's really bad. Um, I'm in the worst foreclosure county in the country. But it's just a small piece of a huge story. And we get the bigger picture when we look at Genesis because it's the beginning of a giant human story. And beginnings are important. Like when I start a piece of art, how I start it's going to impact how it finishes. Now, the painting workshop on uh, a Friday night, we started with an image and we all traced a piece of it. And we all painted. Everyone had a palette. Now, if I'd taken the wrong colors and given people the colors or the wrong section, it wouldn't have come out well. So the people doing the sky sections that were blue and white and gray, if they'd gotten the sections that were orange, they got the wrong colors, it wouldn't have come out like the right sunset, would it? So how you start is very, very important. So let's start. The first two letters of beginning is B. B-E, great word, B. I think as I've meditated and thought and prayed about this, that it has to do with the word being or to be. And I think it refers to us being human beings, not human doings. Are any of you busy? Come on, be honest. More honest. Okay, thank you. Honesty's good. 
Have any of you felt that possibly your busyness was a little out of control? Maybe it sacrificed some of your most important relationships. Maybe it actually got in the way of your faith because it becomes to replace your faith. Maybe it's all church-related. When we become human doings, we get confused about who we are because we start replacing activity with identity. And pretty soon, we're doing a Monday night something and a Tuesday night something and a Wednesday night something and Sunday morning and Saturday night, and we don't know who our kids are. We don't know who our spouse is. We're just doing. We're just moving, and all this stuff's happening And we're confused because we think we're doing it for Jesus, right? We're serving God. And I don't know that we've ever actually heard Jesus say, I want you to do so much, you don't even know who you are. You don't even know who your kids are. I don't think Jesus is saying that. I think we're listening to the wrong message. So, I want to give you an assignment. I sat within the beginning for six weeks in preparation for today. I wanted to sit with it. I wanted to soak in me. I wanted to think about it so I might have something to share with you that had some meaning. Uh, In 1994, I was struck by the phrase when Jesus says, I am the way. And I sat with that for 10 years. And I read and I studied And I looked it up, and I read everything I could find about it. I'm like, what does that mean? What does it mean if I'm going to follow the way of Jesus? What does that mean for me? And I wrestled through, and I found a place that I could be satisfied with, that I could trust, that I could walk in. So you've got between now until January, pick one phrase of Scripture, one word, one verse, And don't leave it. Stay with it for the next two months. Try it. Let the Scripture be in you. See what happens. Bouncing around doesn't seem to change your character very well, right? Memorizing an entire chapter doesn't seem to make you more loving or more patient or more kind or less busy. So I I encourage you to try that. Now here's why. I got this picture It actually came in a class with some students. We were looking at water as a symbol of the Spirit of God. And we discovered that water moves through rock. It literally moves through bedrock. You ever seen the face of a cliff with the water trickling out? It can literally move through miles of bedrock. And it comes out crystal clear. It permeates the rock. In fact, geodes are made by water moving through rock. The crystals are left behind. So the Spirit can move through the hardness of our hearts. It can move through anything. So the Word moving through us is like water sifting through bedrock. It takes time. It needs to saturate through us. You notice I changed it. It's not you moving through Scripture. It's Scripture moving through you. See, we think we're in control. 
right? We think we're somehow able to take Scripture and make it change us. And you know, when you really look at it, it doesn't really work that way. Change only happens. Have you ever cut yourself and then you put a little stuff on there and you put the Band-Aid over it and you go heal? The Word doesn't really make it heal, does it? The Band-Aid doesn't make it heal. The first aid cream doesn't make it heal. What makes it heal? God. Surgeons don't heal you. They create an environment for healing to happen. Your broken bone is not healed by the cast. The cast protects your arm while it's healing. Scripture has to be in you, and it heals you. You do not heal yourself. So somehow it has to move through you, be in you like water through bedrock. Okay, to be a disciple, Troy's been introducing you this whole notion of being disciples, right? Uh, if you were here last week, if you weren't, you probably got that notice in the mail saying shame on you, right? Do you mail those out? Are they pink? Oh, that's cool. Sorry. Those are absent slips. Um, to be a disciple is not about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about identity. Identity in Christ. Christ does not need you to do anything for His love or His acceptance or His forgiveness. If you think that, you're confused. You cannot add to the work of the cross in any way, in any form. If you think you can, you've just played God. Jesus is the only one that can forgive your sins. He's the only one that resurrects from the dead and gives you the power to be transformed. And transformation does not happen by what you do. It's by who you are in Christ. Now, we talk about Christ in us, right? We talk about Christ living in us. Someone tell me where that is. Where does Christ live in you? What organ? What place? I ask my students as they get very confused with me. What's the word we use a lot? Heart. What ventricle? Or where is it? What do we mean by that? We had a, a vascular surgeon here earlier, and he said it was the upper left ventricle corner. <laughs> do we mean our heart, or what do we mean? What's that? Our soul. Our soul. Ooh, that's different, huh? Because where does our soul exist? In the whole body. So are we our bodies or do we live in our bodies? You have a headache yet? What's that? That's what some people say. I know, that's good. It makes good conversation, doesn't it? Do you, does your arm hurt or does the arm that you're living in hurt? Right? So if Christ lives in you, if it's a bodily indwelling, right? and yet we live in Christ, that's a very complicated duality that's very powerful. And if Christ lives in us and we live in Christ, yet together we make up the body of Christ, this is beautiful and complicated and wonderful and mysterious. And when we try to simplify it and say, I know the answer, I think we've made a mistake. And that, it's kind of, it's freeing not to know. 
It's freeing not to have it all figured out. That's why I love about teaching. It's not about answers. It's about really good questions and questions that lead to deeper questions and better questions like roots descending into the soil, looking for nutrients in the midst of winter, preparing for spring, getting ready for growth and excitement and fruit and that beautiful bursting of color. Sound like an artist a little bit? I hope so. This is how my brain works. Okay, being still. You've heard the, uh, the scripture that be still and know that I am God. And I hear people all the time say, I just can't stop, right? I can't be still. If I'm still, I fall asleep. If I'm still, my mind wanders, right? You heard any of those phrases? People are like trying to be still on their legs like, whoa, you know, or they're twitching. I don't think it means that you have to stop. I think it's talking about an internal stillness. You know that phrase, fullness of life, right? I think it means our lives should be full. So I took busy out of my life five years ago, and I just said, I'm not going to use it again. Because busy sounds like something being done to us, right? But full is about our choices. It's about being obedient to the call of God in whatever capacities we're called to be in. Some of you are husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, teachers. You have jobs. You have ministries you're involved in. You have callings, things that God has said, I want you to do these things, and I want you to do them well, right? That's full. But sometimes you have to say, I can't take on anything else. Troy, don't ask me to do anything else. Troy, God is not speaking through you right now. I'm just giving him a bad time. But other people might say, I need you to come over and do, take care of this. You might have to say, I can't. No is all right to say. No might be being obedient to God more than saying yes, if you're full. Now, I'm not saying there aren't points where you sacrifice, where you have to go above and beyond, but not every day at the price of your primary callings, of your primary relationships, of your family core. How many of you have experienced empty nests and you look at each other and you go, who are you? The kids are gone and you forgot to have a relationship while they were around and you have to kind of start over. You forgot to take care of your primary relationship. Don't make that mistake, please. So this internal place of rest, this inside, you brought up soul, right? Someone said soul. You just talked about it, someone else. I think that's right. I think the soul, your internal resting place is a place to be nurtured, is a place to be still within, even when outside, it's crazy. How many of you have a work situation that's a little out of control sometimes? Anyone have busy work? Okay. It is hard to imagine being, yeah, Troy's, both hands are up. It's hard to imagine being still amidst that, but you can have a stillness with Christ inside when outside is crazy. It takes practice. I was told I was going to burn out 25 years ago. And I laughed. I said, I'll never burn out. 
this is what God's called me to do. I got to APU, there were 12 art majors. Now we have 305 degrees, and we're just warming up. We're just getting started. It's because I'm passionate, but inside, I've created a soul garden, just like the Garden of Eden where I meet God in the cool of the day, and I'm at peace, and God speaks to me and assures me of His love. And I can rest in that, and I can be confident that my place in God's love is not based on how many majors I have and how much I've accomplished. It's because God loves me. Was that easy to get there? No. That took practice. It took assignments, 10 years in the way, six weeks and in the beginning. The assignment I gave you is a discipline of experiencing and sifting in God's love and believing it and resting in it. In the beginning, God, I actually thought I'd add a fourth word for you so you didn't think I was crazy, just sitting with three the whole time. And God's a good word to add, right? And it's actually in the verse. I didn't stick it on there. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So somehow Jesus was at the beginning of the story. Isn't that beautiful? So when the beginning is happening, when the world is being created, Jesus is there with the Father. So he's there at the beginning of our story. He comes in the middle. He lives in us. We live in him. We make up his body. This is really complicated and mysterious. What a fabulous artwork. It's so beautiful We've got 2,000 years of people trying to figure out what it means. How do we live this life? How do we engage with this? And being a disciple is rooted not in activity, but rooted in identity. When you say, I am a Christ follower, it's because of who you are, not because of where you walk, right? Because coming to church doesn't make you a Christ follower. You follow Christ in every moment of every day, not because you're here in this building. Jesus doesn't magically live in concrete cinder block walls, right? Because Jesus lives in people, and we live in Jesus. But Jesus lives in the whole world somehow. See how fun this is and how your head starts to get kind of tweaked? It's a fabulous mystery. And we begin to think about it and dwell in it, and it lives in us how much powerful our faith becomes. I also forgot to tell you that my wife sent me here to heal the Packers, just in case. <laughs> Last week was really rough. That was a very painful uh, game to watch. So I've been praying diligently for them. I got to be at chapel, and I just, I have high hopes for today. So... Being a disciple is also praying for things you love. And does God care if they win or not? I don't know. I think so. I hope so. I don't think God loves the Vikings, but maybe. I know God does not love the bears, right? And because I'm native San Franciscan, it was glorious to watch the Niners decimate the bears two weeks ago, right? Yes, that was fantastic. 
Sorry, a little humanity slipped in there. <laughs> but that's fun, isn't it? To figure that out and wrestle that out. How does God work in all that? How does God mix in the midst of what we love and, and, and games and community and culture and football and life and our businesses? It's, it's beautiful. And, and it makes it interesting. And it makes it part of our, our living and our breathing. And in the beginning... It says God created. Now, this is a magical, weird word. We say created, we don't even understand it. Because in the Hebrew, it's actually a sound. It comes out of the lower gut, and it comes roaring up. It's like belches out. It roars out. It's the depth of the being comes out, and stuff happens. That's why... If you're going to be a disciple, it has to come from inside you. If you're going to create life, if you're going to represent Christ, it can't be just out of your head or out of your mouth or out of your shoulder. It has to come from inside you where your soul takes its root, right? It has to be deep within you. That's why it has to saturate you. So when it comes out, it has power. It has the power to give life, to create to make a difference. That's why it's such a beautiful, beautiful word. And then it says, actually I got, I got to the second verse. This is Genesis 1 verse 2. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the deep. I think we carry the deep inside us. Now the deep for each one of you contains stuff that's difficult. It contains family pain, it contains your past, it contains broken relationships, it contains lost pets, right? It contains broken friendships. It contains the things that are difficult. And the Spirit moves over that, brings life to that, brings healing to that. You don't have to pull it all up in one shot. That would be very painful and horrible, right? That's not what it's about. But it's about the fact the Spirit touches every level of who you are, cares for you, heals you. And when it is appropriate, you bring up what needs to bring up and you let it see the light of day. Not inappropriately, but as it's safe and as it's important to do. So our actions come out of the depth of who we are. So whatever words you pick, Actually, I'm, Troy's going to report to me on homework, so all of you are going to send him your verses and words, and then I'll send out report cards in January. Does that sound like a good deal? Okay, so you can pass the class. I like that, don't you? Um, whatever you soak in or whatever soaks in you, you're going to start seeing it change you. You're going to start seeing coming out in ways that you won't expect, because then the Spirit starts to make you a different person because you've let it sift inside you over a period of time. And the holidays are especially difficult, right? Because there's so much going on. It's the best time to try it when you're the most distracted. And maybe it's about Jesus being born, a beginning. Maybe you've got a dirty manger inside you, and that's the best place Jesus needs to be reborn. Maybe the deep that's in you 
is a kind of soiled, forgotten mess. And Jesus needs to be born right there. And maybe that rebirth of Christ in you, and maybe you've been a Christian for years, and you've just neglected the source of life, and you've just gone through the motions, and you need to find again that first love, that beginning that Jesus offers you, that power of love and forgiveness that only Christ can bring. And what better time than Christmas to re-engage with that. Yeah, the lights are fantastic. My wife and I are crazy. We put up nine trees. I mean, we fill the whole house. We love it. It's filled with light. But it's also, we need to have light inside us, right? So it's a great time of year to soak in the phrase, I am the light of the world. Maybe that's a phrase you want to use. Maybe there's something else. But find something to go deep with. Find something that will saturate in you to make you be the disciple that you long to be. And as we come to communion together, this might be the time to think about bringing in the bread and wine of Christ. In jest, Jesus and what he's done for you, it's not what you've done for him. You cannot do anything you can just receive. It is the gift of Christmas. Jesus is giving himself to you as a Christmas gift. So maybe allow him to be reborn in you this day, this season, this winter, this beautiful time, and see what happens in the next few weeks. See what saturates through you. See what comes out. I can't wait for your report cards. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for letting me come and be with you today. Blessings on all of you.